This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Now on Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. Saturday Night Live with Philly Lieber. If we don't move in our own direction, we're going to become extinct. In fact, in some cases, we're close to being extinct right now. Presented by the law offices of Pond, Lee Hockey, Stern, Giordano. Talk, listen, and speak to the region's most influential leaders. It's Saturday Night Live with Philly Labor. Speaker Pelosi, did the president us underestimate you politically? And can you assure the public that there won't be another impasse in, in three weeks? I can't assure the public on anything that the president will do. Uh, but I do have to say I'm optimistic. I can't characterize president's evaluation of me. Do you think that he thought he could get what he wanted? I think he thought no one should ever underestimate (laughs) the speaker as Donald Trump has learned. Saturday Night Live with Philly Labor as we come to you on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. It's an early start for us, uh, J-Doc, on this Saturday night as we come to the Delaware Valley live on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. We'll be here uh, from 5 to 6 p.m. And we start the show tonight, J-Doc, of course, with breaking news. As uh, everybody knows by now, unless you're living under a rock, the government shutdown uh, has uh, ended, at least temporarily, uh, we're going to bring in uh, a gentleman who has become a regular oh, yeah. uh, on this program. We're glad to be able to lead off the top of the hour uh, with Phil Glover, who's going to join us and uh, come into the conversation. Phil is the District 3 National Vice President of the American Federation of Government Employees, and he joins us now here on Saturday Night Live with Philly Labor, right here on Talk Radio 1210 WPA. Phil, thanks so much, man, for joining us here on a Saturday. Hey, thank you for having us. Phil, it, 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 it's great to have you, and it's great to have you for a good reason. As we know, the White House announced, obviously, this week that the, the temporary shutdown of the government uh, has, has uh, ended, uh, at least for now. Uh, tell us a little bit about what's going on with your workers at this time. Yeah, what will happen now is obviously they only came up with a short-term solution uh, until February 15th is is our understanding. um, They'll be bringing the furloughed employees back into work, uh, getting them back onto payroll, and then the people that have been working uh, without pay, they should be fairly quick in getting those uh, back onto the payroll and trying to get those paychecks out. So we're looking forward to those folks getting their pay from December through January. And Phil, just for, and Phil, just for clarity, that meaning that all government employees who are back to work will receive in full uh, all of the dollars or the wages that were not paid during this period. Is that correct? Correct. That's that's what's supposed to happen. The, the bad part for the employees is going to be that when you get a lump sum check like this, because you're going to end up with probably two full pay periods uh, being paid at once, the taxes are going to be bigger. All of the deductions will come out. Um, so they'll they're probably going to be a little shocked at, at uh, the amount of the check. So, what is the sentiment of the members at this time? 
you know, I think uh, everybody's cautiously, uh, nobody's really jumping for joy out here. Obviously, we, uh, we're happy with the decision to bring the employees back to work uh, and, and to negotiate. We've said that the entire time. This is pretty much exactly the same deal that was on the table in December on the 21st. And so we were for that then, and we were for it now. But uh, we would have liked to have seen them do a full uh, funding for all of the agencies not included in Homeland Security. We had hoped to have them fund that all the way to, to the end of September. But that, that didn't happen. Philip Glover is joining us here on Saturday Night Live with Philly Labor. Philip is the District 3 National Vice President of the American Federation of Government Employees. And a busy time as the announcement coming that the shutdown has reached a point where it, the government uh, is now open. Phil, uh, just to follow up on uh, JDoc's question to you, um, there is, as you mentioned, uh, that date hanging out there three weeks from now um, and I wonder what that means to you and to the workers different than what it means to myself or to J doc or to somebody listening who's not a government employee is that a date that people are going to be nervous about scared about um, your thoughts tell me about it yeah I think if you listen to the president's comments uh, you know, he basically said if they can't come to some solution on this border security issue that uh, we may be right back here on February 15th and uh, be shut down again. Now, I'm not sure the Senate is willing to do that after the pressure that was applied to them, and I'm not sure the House is willing to do that. But uh, it sounds like he's raring to go again if he doesn't get his way. So, you know, we're bracing for that. We're going to keep all of our uh, connections up as far as the assistance we we're pro- providing to employees all of those types of things within the labor community uh, and, you know, the food banks, everybody else that we've worked with, and we want to thank them as well, everybody from organized labor and the outside charity groups and things that help federal employees. I don't want to get off of the, off of the line without uh, thanking all of them uh, for the assistance that they've provided so far to federal employees. Now, Phil, um, when, when, when individuals uh – are, are furloughed and when 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 stuff like this happens um how hard is it to keep the morale up last the, on the last show a big part of what you were talking about with the other labor leaders and uh was hey listen you know keeping them all together and 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 trying to keep the morale up what, what type of task is that well i think with any adverse thing like this at, at work um you know, as this drug on, the second when the second paycheck uh, didn't come on Friday, uh-huh. you could tell there was even more fear, more panic. Panic. You know, a lot of people. And um, so you had to keep, we had to keep getting out there pr- publicly and reassuring them that we were fighting for their pay and benefits. And I think that's what our union uh, will take from this is that we got to be out there on the front line, being out there at workplaces, making sure people know that we're trying to take care of them and get them uh, paid. How long does it take to get them all back to work? Uh, it, well, they'll be immediately, they probably will be, depending on their own schedules, uh, called back uh, for Monday. I think OPM already put out the uh, notice. And then they have to do what's called TNA, time and attendance. They'll have to get those things up and running, especially at the furloughed places where you had nobody uh, on site. They'll have to get back in and get to work. Now, the 
again, the ones like the, the Beer Prisons Ice uh, uh, TSA, they had employees there. They had their people there that they should be able to program in their, their time in attendance and get that into the payroll system rather quickly. So we're, we're hoping that that's a quick process. These people get uh, their checks as, as fast as possible. Phil Glover joining us here on Saturday Night Live with Philly Labor as we come to you on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Uh, Phil, bring, give the audience, give the listening audience here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT um, a sense of something we don't know. Um, we know what we hear. We know what we read. Um, we know what we think our perception of the scenario is, but we don't really know what it means to be a government employee who's furloughed or who's forced to go to work uh, and not get a paycheck. We don't know what it means to be a prison guard and still have to show up for work under tough conditions and not get a paycheck. Um, give us a sense. Give, give uh, the Delaware Valley a real reality of what that means. Well, I think as most people saw with our TSA workers, uh, our prison workers, uh, the corrections officers that, that work there, and and the other, uh, you know, what you would call essential, that those folks are professionals. They didn't want to disrupt their jobs. Uh, they want to do their job, and they want to do it well. And I think a lot of the public saw, even coming through the airports, um, you know, we had a lot of we had a lot of the public shaking people's hands, thanking them for being there, things that had been ignored, I mean, frankly. And I think that helped our our federal workers uh, a little bit to get through this. Uh, the donations from, from the public, uh, you know, to them was, was extremely, uh, extremely generous. And I think it showed our, our workers that they're uh, important. And I think it showed the public that these folks are important. And so, you know, we do a job for the American public, and we always uh, try to do the best thing we can. And, and I, I hope that's what came off during this uh, unfortunate exercise. Phil Glover joining us here, the National District 3 National Vice President of AFG, American Federation of Government Employees, joining us here uh, on Saturday Night Live with Philly Labor on Talk Radio 1210 uh, WPHT. Uh, Phil, uh, back to work you go, but thank you so much uh, for taking a few minutes uh, out of uh, what is a busy day, busy night, and I'm sure a busy weekend uh, for joining us here on Saturday Night Live with Philly Labor. Well, thank you guys for keeping this in the news and giving us a uh, platform to get our message out to, to the public. Thank you. Right. Thank you, Phil. All right. Good stuff from Philip Glover, J. Doc. It's Saturday Night Live uh, with Philly Labor as we come to you early on a Saturday night tonight uh, with a, uh, a show jam-packed. When we, We're going to get into a commercial break, J. Doc, when uh, we come back after, uh, after the commercial break. There's a town hall gathering this evening that starts at 6 p.m., title for the town uh, for the town hall medicare for all and we'll start the dialogue and start the conversation with two guests when we come back after the break Saturday Night Live with Philly Labor here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT on a busy Saturday night. Jay Doc, special thanks uh, to Philip Glover. Uh, oh, yeah. What a sigh of relief it must have been uh, for the uh, workers, the oh. government workers, to realize that the government was now opened uh, and all of these employees uh, are going oh. to get a paycheck and get it 
quickly going back to when this thing all started over a month ago. Absolutely. It was a, it was a, a, a record-breaking shutdown that we hope never happens again, and really for a reason that was unnecessary. We'll watch the three-week uh, parameter like everyone else, and we'll continue uh, to bring you the story uh, from the workers' perspective right here on Saturday Night Live with Philly Labor. As I went into the break, I uh, referenced Medicare for All, a town hall meeting uh, that's going on tonight. Ed Mooney, CWA District VP, uh, joins us by phone. Ed is on the uh, docket tonight. We'll bring in also Mike Lighty, who's going to join us. I think what we would like to do, uh, Matt, is I can bring uh, Ed and I can bring Mike in both uh, into the conversation. We welcome you both in uh, to Saturday Night Live uh, with Philly uh, Philly Labor. Ed, uh, a good Saturday night, sir. Uh, Michael, a good Saturday to you as well. Thank you very much. Thanks, Krause and Doc. Great to talk to you guys. Great to have you guys on. And and if you would, Ed, tell us tell us what the town the town hall is. So we're going to have a conversation tonight with as many people uh, from the public who wish to attend to continue having this conversation about Medicare for all. Um, everyone sees. I believe that the last uh, count we have was around three hundred people were expected to show up to participate in this conversation. Um, it's sponsored by many other labor organizations. Um, also, um, the National Nurses United, where Michael's from, uh, as well as the right of way, uh, maintenance employees, Pennsylvania Association of Staff Nurses, uh, Our Revolution, and, uh, and many others. Um, and, you know, health care in this country continues to be a problem. We see the attacks uh, on the Affordable Care Act by the uh, Republican Party now, just trying to undo all those protections that were put in there, or even they weren't enough. And we're continuing to see people in our country fall further and further behind in terms of having access to good quality health care. So we need to continue this conversation until eventually we have enough people in the room um, with enough knowledge and no self-interest other than doing the right thing to make this thing a reality here in this country. Now, Michael, um, if you would tell us what Medicare for All means. All right. Thanks, guys, for having me on. I mean, uh, Medicare for All simply is we're going to improve it and we're going to extend it to everybody. It's very different from just getting insurance because unlike insurance, which might have a high copay or a high deductible, charge a lot in premiums, or deny you care, tell you what doctors you can go to, we eliminate all that. And we guarantee health care without an insurance company in between you and your provider. We don't pay for it, uh, you know, through through the employer. We pay for it through public taxes, which are a lot less than we're paying now and a lot less than the employers are paying now. But, of course, the way you save money is we uh, lower prices, control prices on prescription drugs, set uh, more reasonable rates to providers so they're not always going up, and then, of course, eliminate all the waste and administration of the insurance companies. But the number one thing we're doing, I think, that's different now is we're taking much more seriously that worker transition because there are workers in administration that we're now going to have to retrain and and provide for because we're basically taking away uh, their job. And so we're doing a much more focus on what that transition means, and we're doing a much more focus on how this is going to improve workers. We did a study recently of, of Senator Sanders' version of Medicare for All, and the average worker is going to save around 9%. That's a 9% raise and getting fully paid health care. 
Mike Lighty, Michael Lighty joining us along with Ed Mooney here on Saturday Night Live uh, with Philly Labor. Michael, let me ask you uh, to expand a moment on Ed's reference to uh, 300 people plus expected uh, in the room, a live town hall. Um, perhaps the expectation of those coming in is uh, Medicare for all sounds great. Is it realistic? Is it something that makes sense? Is that part of what the message will be tonight? Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. Because the reality is the present system isn't, an, isn't sustainable. I mean, every year, every contract, we're bargaining, and they're taking more out of our paycheck for health care. They're not giving us a raise, and we're paying more. So what we think, actually, is the present system isn't sustainable, and that Medicare for All enjoys 70% popularity uh, in general, uh, even among those uh, workers who earn less than $30,000 a year and voted for Donald Trump, 52% of them support Medicare for All. In a one recent poll, 52% of Republicans do. So I don't understand this, this political viability question. I've never understood how a proposal or policy that's so popular isn't considered just by that being uh, uh, you know, viable. If you look at how Medicare works versus the private insurers, then you see it's actually more efficient. So if the policy works and is popular, maybe we should try that. We've tried everything else. So this, um, so, so, so this program and, 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 and the movement that we're trying to, to gain, Ed, where are we with organized labor across the board? It's awesome to see right now, uh, for tonight's event, we have uh, 11 labor organizations behind it. Where are we with labor as a whole? So labor as a whole, I think, you know, there's still, you have some skeptics out there. But even when you look at the various aspects of labor, whether it's public employees, private employers, or the building trades, if you speak to anyone in the building trades now, where they manage their own health care plans, they're having to make the kinds of changes in their plans that are putting in deductibles, higher out-of-pocket um, co-pays for their members, uh, co-insurance in order to sustain a reasonable cost for their members and also from their employers because it's all paid into through their system. Mike, uh, in my negotiations with private employers, every time we go in there, right, here's the other thing. It's not just whatever today's numbers are, but every decade we change the process of delivery. If you remember, at the end of the early 90s and through the 2000s, we had HMOs where everything was covered. And then they went away from that, where it was preemptive stuff. Now we're back to, you know what, that's not working. You've got to pay up front and pay if you use it. And those are the things that continue changing people's lives. And how many employees do you represent? I represent uh, 37,000 members throughout the five states in D.C., which your ad mentions, which, by the way, is a fantastic ad you guys put together. Thank you very much. The 30, <laughs> thank, thank you, sir. We'll take that. Uh, I don't know who did the voice work on that, but well done. The, uh, the 37,000 employees that you represent puts you in a position uh, to be able to understand Medicare for all uh, from all sides because you can consume and digest uh, multiple opinions uh, and look at it all ways. It, when you look at it from all sides of the square, is it still the same? Do you come up with the same conclusion? No, especially for us. 
our health care plans are employer-based, so we're negotiating a plan with each individual employer. While Verizon and AT&T are some of our largest, you then have smaller employers in there. Um, and even within those plans, you have segregated groups of people like pre-Medicare, right? If you retire prior to being Medicare eligible, the amount of money the employer pays for that plan because they isolate them from, pre, from 64 to wherever age you retired, now you, you don't have the benefit of flattening out with younger people in that plan. So, you know, many of these different aspects. Here's another one. I have members who are married to their spouses their entire lives. The only health care insurance their spouse knows is the union-negotiated health care benefits with their employer. And in many cases, 18 months or less after the member's death, the spouse then has no health care. That's incredible. Right? So you're going decades and decades with this protection, and then as if you don't suffer enough with the loss of a spouse, you then shortly after that lose your health care coverage and then have to go where to get it. Right? Exactly. And, and, and Michael, let's talk about costs. Right. You talk about the administrative cost of the insurance company, and let's also talk about the hospitals themselves, some which are owned uh, by hedge funds. That's right. You're, you've got hospitals that are basically, you know, pushing people out and uh, limiting treatments because they, that, that furthers their bottom line, and that's really whether they're for-profit or non-profit. You've got the um, administrative costs of the insurance companies. We think, from this study, we can save 19% by eliminating the kind of fragmentation that Ed's talking about. All that, think what it takes to figure out who is eligible under all those segregated programs. That's what we're talking about as the fragmentation and the inefficiency. Medicare spends about 2-3% on administration. Typically, the insurance companies are spending 12% just on the insurance side. Then you've got huge billing departments in hospitals. They're, the hospitals have hired more administrators and managers than they've hired frontline workers. And the frontline workers are the ones who take care of us and make sure our bed's clean, make sure we get the medications we need, make sure we're cared for. And yet all the money's going to the administration side. And then the pharmaceutical companies, of course, are the biggest uh, waste of, of uh, patient dollars because so much of what we pay for medications goes to their marketing and profits. The most profitable industry, one of the most profitable industries in the world. So that's really where all the money is diverted from patient care, spending to try to figure out how you're not going to get health care when your spouse dies. And I think, too, I'm so struck, Ed, by how much you know about health care. And is that really the work that we as union leaders want to be doing? We want to go out there and fight for our workers. We want to go out there, have them have real health security so we can focus on taking on the bigger fights and not be health benefit administrators. Mm-hmm. Medicare for all is a huge relief, I think, to the labor movement so we're not bogged down in just trying to protect what we have and can actually go forward in a much more aggressive way, I think, on other issues. And also think of the time that employers will be freed up if the employer doesn't have to administer exactly. these plans. That's right. right. Huge amount of time. And the employers save. Look, we're talking about what the workers save. The employers save at least as much. We believe Again, according to this most most recent research done by the the um, University of Massachusetts at Amherst, that employers will cut their costs 
by uh, at least 8% initially. Michael Lighty is on the line with us from National Nurses United. Ed Mooney from the Communication Workers of America joining us. Guys, I'm going to ask you to hold on. I'm not going to hold you much longer, um, but I want to get into a break. We'll bring you both back on the other side. We'll talk about the Medicare for All Town Hall starts tonight at 6 p.m. 1904 Walnut Street uh, right here on Rittenhouse Square. We'll get to uh, back to Michael uh, and back to Ed after the break. And back here live on a Saturday night. It's a special uh, 5 p.m. start tonight here on Saturday Night Live with Philly Labor as we come to you on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT along with Jay Doc. I'm Joe Krause from uh, the Talk Radio 1210 studios. Uh, Medicare for All, the Town Hall Jay Doc, tonight at 6 p.m., 1904 Walnut Street. Michael Lighty is with us from the National Nurses United. Ed Mooney is joining us as well uh, from the CWA. We only have a few minutes left uh, but thanks guys for staying with us through the break guys um you know we understand it a lot in in negotiations between employers employees health care is always a major stumbling block i mean we've seen some uh, down in atlantic city and we were down there fa- you know face to face uh where coral icon actually shut the workers out and closed coincidentally trump taj maha over health care and at the same time, Bob McDevitt was saying the workers are down there. They're not making a mint. The only reason they're there is, is because they can get health care. Will this help uh, that process along the way? Joe, this is, it'll absolutely help. As one of my points, the freedom of an employee to be able to move from employer to employer to better their working lives without having to worry about that attachment of health care will will generate so much more freedom for workers within our economy. Here's another way employers use that. In our recent strike with Verizon, which lasted seven weeks, at the end of the month in which we went on strike, the law allowed Verizon to cancel the health care of 40,000 striking workers and for all their dependents and their children, which Verizon did at that time. Right? Incredible. And remember, these are now corporations who just receive multiple billions of dollars in tax cuts, but they still want to keep this this way, many of them, because it's another weapon that they're able to use against their employees when their employees want to stand up and fight back for better wages and working conditions. Guys, where are we politically with this? Okay, the, 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 those that can make it happen, where where are we in, in, in that arena? Well, it, I would just say that we're in a very strong position. We're in a stronger position than we've ever been. I mean, think how far we've come from 2016. The Democratic nominee was basically taking single-payer off the table. And now it's got a majority of the Democratic caucus. Powerful chairs of congressional committees are committing to hearings on Medicare for All. For the first time, we didn't even see this in 2009 where it was on the table. It was taken off the table by uh, essentially the insurance industry, and we put it back on the table now, and it's the leading alternative to the present system. And I think this, the point, Ed, that you made is just 100% right. This, the, If we can establish this kind of Medicare for all, yeah, we're going to save the money. We're actually going to give workers a raise. We're going to pr- actually enable uh, the employers to save money that we can get back as wages. But we're also going to do something that no worker really has in the healthcare system, even if they have insurance, and that's peace of mind. And that 
that desire for real security is driving the political debate in a different way because you're getting down to the point where it's like, what's the sustainable system that's going to control cost and actually guarantee health care for all without the barriers we have now? And this momentum, this social movement momentum is going to build. I think it's going to be a litmus test in the uh, 2020 election for Democrats. In particular, I think it's going to be an election that appeals to many Republican workers who see them getting themselves getting screwed by their present system. And I think it's going to actually um, uh, reveal itself over the course of 2019 as a powerful issue um, uh, in the House of Representatives. Michael, let me ask you, uh, in reference to uh, being in front of 300-plus um, individuals who are going to uh, attend the town hall, Medicare for All, um, as you stand there, as you present, uh, just as you did uh, for us and for the listening audience, uh, just a piece of what you will talk about tonight, um, what's the pushback? What pushback will you get from those in attendance, or, or will you not get any at all? No, I think there's. I think I will get some pushback, and I should mention that I'm on uh, one of the great benefits uh, in the union movement. I've actually been able to take a sabbatical from my work, my day-to-day work at National Nurses United, to focus on this issue. And what I find is that people are concerned. They they are desperate to keep their health plans because they're afraid that they'll lose everything, and they know what's out there if they do. So you've got to reassure folks that this transition can be done, that the numbers are solid, because they really are not going to give up what they have unless they're convinced this this can really happen. I think you get some concern um, also from uh, public sector workers who have very good benefits. Will this be as good? In fact, it will. And so we can address those. But that's the kind of, I think, you don't get opposition necessarily from workers, but you get a certain level of skepticism that I think we can overcome. Well, Mike, thinking about this, how would it look to an employee? Typically right now there's a, a, a deduction from your paycheck that goes towards your health care. Um, if it's if we're all sort of working through Medicare, what does your paycheck look like? Is that is that I mean you're you're paying taxes? Is it just get diverted into Medicare or how will that work? Yeah, it's essentially essentially goes into the existing Medicare trust fund instead of covering everybody over sixty five. It covers everybody at birth, and you're still going to have probably a payroll deduction of some kind. It's going to be less. You're not going to have the coinsurance that Ed mentioned. You're not going to have the co-pays or the deductibles. So all that goes away, and you'll be able to go to any doctor of your choice. But in terms of what's beautiful about this is that you pay either a payroll deduction uh, or on on your tax return, and that's all you do. You don't have to have, you know, a credit check before you can be admitted and, to well, the Well, the funny thing is, and what you're saying also is, if this benefits the employee and the employer, and it saves money across the board... Uh, who would be against it? In other words, the, Repu- <laughs> the Republicans. Ed, who do you think is going to be against they, that? The insurance industry who has oh. us all chasing our tails. No, we get that. <laughs> that. I was just going to say, besides the insurance lobby, um, the, the Republicans should like it because it, 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 it creates added benefits to business, except for insurance providers. And of course, Democrats should like it. Uh, you know, at labor unions are, are obviously you know supporting this issue. Um, it, it, besides, so. Besides insurance lobby, I can't imagine anybody would be against this. 
well, the pharmaceutical companies don't like it because we're going to lower their prices. Yeah. And the hospitals don't like it because they're not going to be able to charge wherever they want, right? Sure. And tell us where to go. So, yeah, I mean, and this, look, at you could use a fraction of the, the revenue that this industry generates is huge. A fraction of that, you know, would be, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars probably. But I think the reality is these, this industry has more, has like, I think, Three lobbyists for every member of Congress. Jeez. You, know, you, you know, we talked, and I and I and I was I did a little research, and and obviously I've been a part of the labor movement since I was eighteen years old. Uh, organized labor has all a long time, Jay. About, about, about ten years. You're an old about dude. Ten years. Man. You're the only one in Philadelphia that has Jim Stevenson <laughs> beat. Hold on, I was around when the AFL and CIO were apart. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, but 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 uh, you know, one of the things that you had said, Michael, when I was listening to a podcast that you did, you know, you, you pointed out how organized labor were always spearheaded the movement for health care. That's right. And here we go. Obviously, again, this is a big move. What role does organized labor pay? Central. It's everything. I mean, we're not look at working people have to demand guaranteed health care, and they have to put the employers on the spot to say, yeah, we're gonna we got a we got a better deal for you, and there we're gonna have to mobilize because basic Congress doesn't want to do this. These are the industries that fund their campaigns, that go to their fundraisers, that actually generate huge profits for the donors. Right? It's not just the industry itself; it's all the donors who are investing in the healthcare industry. So the only way we're gonna overcome that is with labor leadership, with workers and unions taking the lead. And actually, as you can tell from Ed, it, it, unions know the most about health care. We're actually the experts on this. Mm-hmm. And so we actually understand what it's going to take to provide that kind of security for our workers. Last question, uh, and then we'll let you guys go. Uh, Affordable Care Act, what does it mean to it? Ed? Well, I mean, it's, it's right now the way they've weakened it by eliminating the individual mandate. Um, it's hurting us. It's going to drive up costs for people who stay uh, in whatever markets are still available, and they're doing everything they can to make it ineffective, right? They're going to point to those rising costs to say it's ineffective, even though they've removed the funding and the, the, you know, the payments that would have gone to support that so we could lower the cost. So, you know, while it was a step in the right direction, it was a chance to expand uh, health care to, you know, 30 or 40 million more Americans who didn't have it. It still doesn't do the job. Right, we still need this. Imagine the freedom people will have. Not only when we talked about people losing their employment, right? You have to go home and look your family in the eye and say, "I lost my job." Your health care is also attached to that. So not only do you not have the income coming in, but for some period of time, you are running the risk of being devastated financially for the remainder of your life. If we take health care out of that equation, look how much more confident people could be in going to find another job. The amount of money we pay, you know, I just had the, the, on the off chance at an organizing uh, meeting this week in Maryland, there was a young lady there from Canada, and I knew we were going to do this town hall this week, so I said, can I have a couple minutes of your time while we're here? Never met her. And I said to her, I'm going to talk about Medicare for All. Here was her statement to me very briefly. I don't understand what it is with Americans that you have to spend all this time on health care. Right? It's like it consumes all of your conversations. I mean, I mean, I just said we we had casino workers working in in uh, in Atlantic City for fifteen bucks an hour, fourteen bucks an hour jobs that they could get at a Seven Eleven, but they chose to get the benefits meant so much to them that they were working there literally for the benefits. Right. 
And so it's a great point, well made. Uh, Ed Mooney, obviously, uh, continued great work. Uh, you, you, you guys do an amazing job. Your membership is mobilized, and, and you know, uh, it, it's a, a great example of what can get done when that happens. And, of course, Ed Lighty, or Mike Lighty, uh, thank you so much for the work that you're doing. Uh, we're here for you guys if you need us. Right, and great. quickly, I want to congratulate all the government workers for getting back to work. I'm happy for all those guys and appreciate everyone who stepped up to help them out. And also congratulate you guys on your uh, impending expansion here to the western part of Pennsylvania. Yeah, you we're working on that, fantastic Eddie. fantastic job. And uh, as always, anything we can do to help you guys, uh, we're here for you. So awesome. thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and thank you guys for having me. I'm so impressed with what you're doing. And we really just, we need this all over the country. Thank, thank you. you. Medicare for All, town hall that gets started at the top of the hour, uh, which is at 6 p.m. It's over at 1904 Walnut Street. J-Doc, we'll get to a commercial break. Uh, you and I will talk about what we just listened to uh, from Ed and Michael. Plus, we're going to uh, talk uh, briefly uh, about uh, immigration, the wall with the shutdown. Now that the government's open, we'll have that dialogue as well. Back in a moment. And back here on Saturday Night Live with Philly Labor here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Get ready for a city versus suburban showdown as the best of the best high school girls and high school boys basketball players compete in the annual All-Star Labor Classic presented by Philadelphia's Organized Labor. The 32nd annual All-Star Labor Classic is on the calendar. It's a Philadelphia tradition, J-Doc, as you know, and over three million dollars has already been uh, donated 100 percent J-Doc 100 percent of the money generated is donated this year the recipient is going to be MS mark your calendars and don't miss it Sunday April 14th the 32nd annual all-star labor classic it's presented by Philadelphia's organized labor and it will be at the Philadelphia College of Sciences and I know Pat Eiding talked about uh, the all-star labor classic when we were in his office last week it really is an incredible event it's a labor of love it's man. a labor of love it's the best way to put it Jim. And the thing is, what's awesome about it is we, we you know, we get to contribute to a great uh, charity uh, to help individuals, but also at the same time, the kids get opportunities. So, uh, and and by the way, we've, we've all seen faces on the labor leaders who, 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 who get to participate in it, but also organize it. And it's been going on for so many uh, decades uh, and, and we're just so proud of it. And we're proud of the work that everybody does and the, and the fact that it's a win-win across the board. I mean, kids who are playing in it, have gotten scholarships to college. It provides exposure, and of course, it helps those in need. So it's a great event. No doubt about that. Shout out to John Doherty. Shout out to Wayne Miller. Shout out to uh, Dennis Hill, Denny Hill, for putting it together. Shout out uh, to everyone at the Building Trades, to everyone at the AFL-CIO. Absolutely. Shout out to Pat Eiding. It's just an incredible event. And of course, uh, I'll be courtside doing play-by-play for what is now my third year doing that, and I absolutely, uh, absolutely uh, love it. Before we try transition, J-Doc, uh, into a conversation uh, and follow-up. Uh, I want to get one thought from you on the Medicare for All town hall meeting, and I want to get to you on that. Um, I do want to transition into some No, audio. I mean, I think it... it well, you you want to you give me your thought now? Yeah, I just wanted to say that, listen, we're... we're, we're, we're we're, we're helping get the burden off of, of our employers and our employees. Imagine what it would be like if negotiations didn't have to include uh, major health care talks, 
I mean, it would be just amazing. And and, and so uh, obviously we were in huge support of that. And and uh, let, let, let's make it happen. Yeah, good to have Ed Mooney on with us. Good to have Michael Lighty on us. Again, that Medicare for All Town Hall is actually scheduled in about nine minutes. It starts at 6 p.m., 1904 Walnut Street. You can still get there. I'm sure they won't start right at 6 because we held them on the air uh, for a little while. But you can get over there and at least consume uh, some information. Tomorrow night, right here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT, Legal Eagles Radio with Sam Pond uh, air every Sunday night at 6 p.m. The topic of conversation uh, is immigration. I want to bring the listening audience tonight uh, into tomorrow's conversation, which aired this morning uh, in Pittsburgh on KDKA, and it will air here tomorrow on Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. We have, right now, we have 34 million immigrants living lawfully in the United States. Some of them receive lawful permanent residence, known as a green card. Others receive temporary visas available for students and guest workers. There are also another million or so unauthorized immigrants who have temporary permission to live and work in the United States under a number of programs. A number of programs that are part of our law. A lot of people say that their family immigrated to the U.S. legally or the right way. The fact is there really wasn't the right way. There wasn't much regulation of immigration until the 1920s. I always tell the story about being called a WAP growing up without papers, an Italian-American. Because most Italian-Americans didn't have papers. They didn't exist. My grandparents came through Ellis Island. In Ellis Island, you came in because you were seeking asylum. They stamped you to come in. We didn't have a wall. We had a Statue of Liberty. Welcoming people. That's a little audio clip from Legal Eagles Radio with Sam Pond. You'll hear the entire hour tomorrow right here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT, start time 6 p.m., uh, show aired this morning uh, in Pittsburgh on uh, KDKA, and you'll hear uh, more of that in its entirety uh, tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, immigration's a huge issue in the news, and Sam was commenting on, at the, I mean, that was his opening monologue, and it is amazing. And you know, I remember after the, after the show, our guest said, that guy, you know, I want to I get a copy of that. Uh, but what's amazing about it, and we was talking about the American dream and what it means today compared to what it meant, you know, ages ago. And with, all, with everything that's going on in America, with the Supreme Court's decision to uphold the travel ban. And let me just say one thing. I believe in border security. No question about it. I believe in law and order, and, uh, you know, we, we, we have to have standards, no question about it. Uh, and I, but with, with all the sentiments going on in America, and the, the great, greatest country in the world, uh, there's no question about it, those individuals whose dream it was to come to the United States and whose dream it is today, have, you know, it, it, it's got to be a little, you know, the hope of coming to America, we're, like like Sam said on the show, we're building walls now, man. We used to. Ronald Reagan said to Gorbachev, "Tear that wall down." Now that wall didn't barrier the United States and South America, but still, the sentiments uh, are completely different than they were today. And 
so that's where Sam was coming from. Just an amazing, amazing situation. You can, you'll hear the entire show tomorrow night at 6 p.m. Just a few minutes left here on Saturday Night Live with Philly Labors. We lead you into St. Joe's basketball right here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Uh, J. Doc, back to uh, rewind in your mind, back to how we started the show uh, at 5 p.m. tonight here on 1210. Uh, Philip Glover, District 3 National Vice President for the American Federation of Government Employees, uh, spoke with relief in his voice. Um, but for Absolutely. now, at least, um, the government is open and the 800,000 plus employees that were affected by this shutdown will get a paycheck and the anticipate the anticipated timing on that is hopefully within the week and that paycheck will be uh, for the full amount as signed into law uh, you know what I am so happy for the those workers that were furloughed and, uh, and all of them that were affected by this absolutely incredible shutdown I you know I even I I felt like you know individuals were underwater and they were running out of oxygen and so uh you know i'm hoping that the relief comes to their families and i'm really hoping that a solution comes uh within the next three weeks so that my god this doesn't happen again i mean how you know what kind of morale could it be and these these workers have i gotta i gotta hand it to them man i mean many of them who went to work without getting a paycheck at least a couple weeks in a row with no hope in sight and so uh, kudos for our government for getting it, you know, getting it together. And I, I just want to I just want to congratulate those workers and thank them. I want to thank them for, for staying on the job when many people wouldn't have done it. And, yeah. and the labor leaders who kept it together. Um, and hopefully we can get a long term solution to the border security situation and we can make this a distant memory and never, ever let it happen again. And I just as I transition here, I just remember the lot, the uh, labor leader roundtable live from the Sinesta Hotel uh, just two Saturdays ago where we gathered uh, with many of the leaders uh, of the American Federation of Government Employees who gathered with us, J-Doc, for a live event, a live broadcast. Uh, at the Sinesta, uh, and one of the most telling moments that I recall from that night um, was the um, worker who was with us, a Parks Rec worker, oh, yeah. 35 years um, and out. Uh, he was there with his son, um, and he really brought to light the impact of what that shut shutdown meant at his doorstep, not on the head, not on a headline, but at his doorstep. Absolutely, it was emotional. And it was amazing how he recited uh, some of our Constitution. And certainly at the end of the day, I'm so happy for all of them. I mean, I didn't mean to make you stretch across. The, no, no, across no. The, no, we got to you, you pull the back muscle. Yeah, we got a caller that, call, that, that that on social media wants uh, to know uh, where the. Yeah, uh, let me do that. The Medicare for All Town Hall, uh, which we talked to Ed Mooney and Michael Lighty tonight, joined us live here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. 1904 Walnut Street. 
1904 Walnut Street in Philadelphia uh, gets underway, scheduled to get underway in a couple of minutes at 6 p.m., but do get out there uh, to listen to Michael Lighty and listen to Ed Mooney, Medicare for All. It's a town hall meeting, and as uh, Ed referenced when we when he first came on, uh, over 300 people uh, already uh, confirmed and expected. Perhaps that number uh, will grow a little bit longer. That's going to do it for Saturday Night Live with Philly Labor here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Special thanks uh, to Philip Glover, Michael Lighty, Edward Mooney, uh, and all of our listeners who tuned in uh, tonight. Don't forget to listen to Legal Eagles Radio with Sam Pond. On behalf of Matt behind the glass, Matt, nice job. And of course, Jay Doc, who threw a back out leaning across the <laughs> table. Uh, I'm Joe Krause. See you next time, everybody. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management.